This is An American Workplace, a podcast dedicated to re-watching and discussing NBC's beloved mockumentary series, The Office. My name is Katie White, and joining me as always is my good friend and co-host, Chad Hopkins. How are you doing, Chad? I'm doing all right. Just uh, continuing to enjoy the summer. It's getting shorter now, but that's okay. It happens. It literally is getting shorter. We're past um, the solstice, so yeah, <laughs> shorter. I have been watching a new TV show recently, which is apt for this show because it's by one of the writers, uh, Justin Spitzer. We know that name. Uh, he created this show called Superstore, which is, in a lot of ways, just a clone of The Office, except it basically takes place in a Walmart. And so you also get the additional shenanigans of real life people entering the workplace, which we don't get as much in this show. So uh, I'm really enjoying that. There's three seasons so far and it's all available on Hulu. So if you want some similar comedy and a bumbling boss who's not as bad as Michael and is probably overall more good hearted than Michael, uh, I would definitely recommend it. It's a lot of fun. Good to know. I hadn't um, really heard too much about that one. So I'll definitely have to give it a shot. Yeah. I know you and I both saw the Mr. Rogers documentary, Would You Be My Neighbor, this past few days. Uh, Big thumbs up to that for anyone curious. uh, Definitely worth the few dollars to go to the movies. It was great. Yeah, many tears were shed, I believe. Many. (laughs) (laughs) So bring tissues or a handkerchief or something, but it's great. Very inspiring. Which leads into actual podcast business news. Uh, We have a couple of new reviews on Apple Podcasts from Dragonslayer91 and UNH number one. Thank you both very much for that. We have um, some new reviews on Facebook from Steven and from Ben. Thank you both very much as well. And also, we just passed 400 likes on our Facebook page. So thank you to everyone uh, for all of your participation and your engagement. Um, It really does mean a lot and uh, helps... You know, when when you like something or when you leave a review on something, your friends see it, which helps us out even more. So, uh, again, we appreciate it yeah. a whole lot. Yeah, that's what's great about Facebook is that unlike the individual episodes of the podcast is there's a share button on everything we post. So if you like an episode or just want to share the show, there's a share button and you can share it with people. And that's just going to help us to continue to uh, increase that like number and hopefully increase our audience. And last piece of business we have two new email conversations from michelle and aaron so thank you again for reaching out uh we just love to hear from everybody and that's what this whole part of the podcast is for is thanking everybody who reached out to talk about the office with us rather than us just having this conversation by ourselves every week so thank you thank you thank you and let's go ahead and go on to our first episode first episode today is new boss it aired on march 19th 2009 directed by paul feig Written by Lee Eisenberg and Gene Stepnitsky. Dunder Mifflin Corporate has finally filled the VP for the Northeast Region position previously held by Jan and Ryan. The no-nonsense Charles Minor comes to Scranton Branch for the first time, and Michael tries to impress him initially, but soon learns that he's not going to have the same kind of relationship with Charles that he's had with his previous superiors. That's a good way to put it, yes. <laughs> <laughs> In fact, we even get a little... Um... I mean, I would save this for funny moments, but it's just perfect to talk about it now. How Michael says the two previous people to hold this position were Jan, his lover, and Ryan, his very best friend, which Ryan was not his best friend, but Michael, you know, thought he was. But there were two very different uh, relationships there. 
than Charles intends uh, to have with Michael. Charles is not at all interested in being Michael's friend and is really not charmed at all by anybody in the office. He is very businesslike. To start off, it's Michael's 15-year anniversary at Dunder Mifflin, and he wants to throw a big party. So that's sort of happening in the background this whole time. And he's, as I said, excited to have Charles at Dunder Mifflin. He says he met them the previous week at corporate, and apparently there they got along really, really well. I don't know. In the little snippet of their interaction we saw, they were having fun. They were laughing. uh, But I don't know. They were in a different setting. They were around Charles's superiors, so that might say something, too, about how he behaved. I don't know. But it is not nearly going quite as well as it did there as it is here at Scranton Branch. Michael prepares these terribly inconsistent bagels with as, as C's in, uh, you know, slicing them so that they're not O's anymore. They're just C's. And some are like really wide C's. Some of them are really narrow C's. <laughs> it's funny how it, it looks like a fourth grader did it. Charles, of course, brings lunch for everyone that same day and kind of throws some shade towards Michael. Like there still may be some bagels left. Like how cute of you that you did that. Uh, he was a little sassy with Michael. But Michael, I mean, I appreciate his effort. He's excited to meet, well, to, you know, spend some time with Charles. Um, he really wants to make him feel at home. He wants to go around and introduce Charles to everyone. And, and, and one-on-one, here's the accounting team. This is Oscar. This is Angela. Here's who they've had sex with. <laughs> here's who they've had sex with. Let's really just break down their characters. Charles is not really interested. He's like, he's, he's not unfriendly to most people. Uh, with a few exceptions, but he's not friendly either. I mean, it's day one. You'd think he'd kind of want to make a good impression, but he really doesn't care. He's just trying to fix, or he's just trying to do his job. Michael appears to have only really been interested in the fun he had with Charles Charles the previous week rather than the business. He didn't share details that Charles shared with him about cutting 3% across the board to save money for the company or not matching 401k contributions anymore or limiting overtime. Uh, because, again, we've seen this many times from Michael over the course of the series, uh, he didn't want to be the bearer of bad news to his employees. He didn't want to be the bad guy. And so now that Charles is here, he has left it for Charles to be a bad guy. And as, as the day progresses and Charles starts to have put his hands a little bit more into what Michael is supposed to be doing, Michael has this quote. He says, I am thrilled that the new boss has taken such an active interest in all the responsibilities that I'm supposed to have. Thrilled. <laughs> it's like somebody's finally holding Michael accountable and he's not too happy about it. You were talking about overtime and and financial responsibilities and things like that. Kevin asks Michael if he can do some overtime this weekend to correct a mistake he made. Michael approves, but Charles overhears and then comes in and and denies Kevin uh, his overtime. Michael says that it's his branch, not Charles's, um, and that Michael will be the one to approve or deny. Charles disagrees pretty strongly, and um, Michael doesn't like to be. Um, he doesn't like to hear no, but he really doesn't like to hear no in front of his subordinates. I think he gets embarrassed. And so he starts imitating Charles and Pam recognizes the danger here. She says she can kind of gauge his emotional well-being based on what comedy routine he's doing. And he has just jumped all the way down to imitation, Mm -hmm. which is not good. That means like, Defcon, like <laughs> lights are flashing. Michael is about to lose it. Yeah, he he skipped the talking butt from Ace Ventura. Right, <laughs> which is 
pretty, you know, lowbrow comedy. And uh, <laughs> Michael just skipped on by. He contacts David Wallace and he says, it was my understanding that I was not going to be managed. David says, what made you think that? Michael just says, it, it was my understanding. <laughs> and yeah. it, it appears that the events of the last several episodes, the, the fire drill, the first aid dummy, the terrible lecture circuit, the golden ticket fiasco, all of those things have finally piled up on Michael and sort of turned the tables on him back from earlier in the season when he met with David to learn, uh, I guess it was the duel, that he is the branch manager of the most profitable branch in Dunder Mifflin. And so maybe all those events have piled on Michael to reveal to David that he's maybe not as competent a manager as he thought. So Charles really does seem to be there to work more closely with Michael than even Jan or Ryan did. And not in the personal way that Jan or Ryan did, in the let's get work done way. And he's almost an, an intermediary between Michael and David. It's like, I, I, I get the sense that David's probably been doing this job, uh, or both jobs, CFO and VP, for a while. Because I, I looked at the timeline on Dunderpedia, and supposedly Ryan's firing for fraud was May of 2008. And supposedly this episode takes place in March of 2009. So it's been 10 months that this position hasn't yeah. been filled. And one that tells me that David has been really trying to find somebody worthy of the position after the, the disasters of Jan and Ryan. And two, that he's ready to be done with this responsibility and hand it to somebody competent and so David just really doesn't want to have the one-on-one -on -one interaction with the branches that he was having before. I hadn't thought about it in terms of Michael's recent, I won't call them failures, but David Wallace might, as far as, say, the lecture circuit and stuff. <laughs> but it makes sense that he would be eager to fill that position now. Yeah, that's a good point. I hadn't thought of it that way. So Michael eventually gets so frustrated that, as you said, Charles is acting as a medium between Michael and, and David. And Michael uh, wants to talk to David on the phone, can't get a hold of him, can't get a hold of him, gets a secretary, he's in a meeting, can't talk to him. And he gets so frustrated. And eventually he calls David and it gets forwarded to Charles's phone. And that, that's that. He, he has it. So Michael gets his butt up to New York and demands to see David in person. He says, you know, I put my life on hold for this company and I put having a family on hold. David says we didn't ask him to do that. <laughs> He says, there's all this stuff that I haven't done. It's my 15th anniversary with this company. I deserve more respect than I'm getting. And um, David admits, you know what? You're right. Charles was going to put the kibosh, as it were, on Michael's 15th anniversary party. David reinstates that, says, okay, we can have that. I'll even be there. But something flips in Michael's head. And he says, I quit. Which... I don't think anybody saw it coming, <laughs> no. frankly. Um, that was such a huge, huge uh, uh, wrench. I mean, it was, it was incredible. Um, every time I see that, I kind of, I, I don't forget it's happening. I don't forget it's coming, but it's so out of the blue. Um, David kind of hands him a bone and says, you're right. You do deserve more respect than this. And Michael just, he can't be convinced that he's ever going to get it, I think. Michael 
he he thinks he's so in sync with David that when he first goes up to New York, he he warns Charles, I'm sorry to do this to you, but I'm going to talk to David. And because we're such good buddies, you're going to be fired. And I hate to do that, but you're not sticking with the way I want to do things here. So they have that whole speech at New York and David's like, oh, yeah, the party. That's it. That's all you want. OK, we'll fix it. And it's not about that. As it turns out, it's about Michael feeling like he's being disrespected and being forced to drive to New York just to have a conversation with David. And in that after 15 years at Dunder Mifflin, he's being micromanaged. He's being forced to change the way he's doing things. When, again, despite those recent incidents, his branch is still the most successful branch of Dunder Mifflin. And so I almost see the roots of this episode way back in season four, The Deposition when Michael refused to admit that Dunder Mifflin had a history of showing disrespect, sorry, a pattern of disrespect (laughs) to its employees. But here he is not being given the privileges and the trust and respect that he thinks he's earned. So he quits. And honestly, this time around, I don't know if it's happened to me past viewings. I teared up a little bit because we know how much Michael loves Dunder Mifflin and even loves David to be honest. I mean, he waves goodbye to David after he quits and closes the door and says, you have no idea how high I could fly. So wave goodbye. I'll I'll see you next time. And here he is putting it behind him because of just one day of being treated in a way he sees as opposite of the way it should be. And that leads me to asking, is Michael overreacting? What do you think? I find that hard to answer because, and I'm, I'm going to get back to your question, but I have in my notes, like Michael gets really mad with Charles every time he discusses the party, Michael's party. So it's easy to look at it at the surface level and say, Michael is only mad about the party. And he really loses it when Charles says he's going to dissolve the party planning committee, which for some reason, Michael is very, very attached to not even just the idea of planning parties, but this committee is very important to him for some reason. It, it seems like every like, lever of this episode, it's, it's hinging on this party to me. So is Michael overreacting? If it's not about the party, which I don't think it is, but that's sort of what he associates with respect is this this party that he's throwing for himself <laughs> for his for his anniversary with the company that's what he can grasp onto and say if they let me have this this is a sign of respect right mm-hmm. and so them just kind of throwing that under the rug is is a huge stab in the back in Michael's eyes and then when David gives in i think he does think as you said oh this is all he wants just a party i'll just give it to him because Michael's a simple guy. Right. Yeah. yeah. And that'll make him happy. Like, here, child, have a piece of candy. But that's not what Michael is really after. Uh, so I don't think he overreacted. I think it could look like he overreacted. Does that make sense? Right. And I've expressed in the past how much I love David Wallace. And that hasn't changed. This episode, yeah, things have maybe gone a little bit wrong. But I still think David was trying to do what he thought Michael wanted, which was the party. Mm-hmm. And I I think that's perfectly valid, but that doesn't mean I think Michael's overreacting. I think the key word is sort of, I think it's trust, Uh, Mm -hmm. because here in this season, Michael has been told that his 
branch is the best branch. Basically, that's what it boils down to. His branch is the best. He was sent on a lecture circuit because of it. Things are going well. And now he's being told that he can't make his own decisions at his branch. He can't plan his own parties at his branch. He has to talk to David through Charles after forming this relationship with him since he was hired back in season two. I I think it's just trust. Michael doesn't feel like he's trusted anymore. And I think he was just provoked to the, the edge and he jumped. And so that's where we leave Michael at the end of the episode. I'm looking at the um, quotes here from office quotes and that series of events in, in this conversation, Michael says, I don't understand that after 15 years of service here, I have to get in the car and drive to New York in order to talk to you. That doesn't seem right to me. That doesn't seem fair. And I think that I've earned more respect than that. And David addresses the party at this point. And Michael, yeah, he talked about the party a few lines earlier, but he's not talking about the party right now. He's talking about, this is unfair. I should be able to talk to my boss. Just, you know, it's, it's a big day. We have a new boss. I should be able to contact you. Mm-hmm. Um, and I can't even do that. I have to get in the car and drive here. And that's when David says, yeah, okay, you can have your party. Michael says, that's, that's, not, that's not the point. So no, I don't think he overreacted. But I think to someone who doesn't know Michael as well as we do, um, <laughs> it, could, it, could, it could seem that, you know? Yeah, I, I agree. I'm glad we're on the same page as far as that goes. <laughs> Took a minute to get there, right. but we, we got there. As far as Charles specifically goes, we've said a little bit about him, but he is... Pretty no-nonsense. He's not interested in Michael's antics. He's certainly not charmed by Jim, like everyone else seems to be. And that leads into Jim's part in this episode, which is flubbering all over the place. Like, things are going very poorly for Jim for pretty much the first time since season two, when he wanted Pam and couldn't have her. This is, everyone has their cringiest moments of The Office. This is, like, top. This is one of my top ones. I mean, it's, it's, it's not number one, but seeing Jim, who is so smooth normally, and he's just confident, and things kind of happen for him, things are not happening for him, and Charles is not charmed. Jim starts off on the wrong foot because Dwight had previously sent out an email about proper dress for the office, and he apparently singled Jim out and said, you, you know, Jim is not dressing appropriately for the office. Probably nothing. We've seen how Jim dresses. It's fine. Dwight probably thinks he needs a haircut or something. Okay. So Jim took that and ran with it and decided to wear a tuxedo today. In Jim's defense, he did not know that Charles would be joining them today and did not bring a change of clothes. So he has his hair slicked back. He's in a full tuxedo, bow tie. It's the whole thing. And Charles is not amused that... Jim would take this opportunity to basically not only kind of make fun of Dwight, but make fun of the idea of proper dress Mm -hmm. and just just kind of making a joke of your job. Jim tries to say, you know, this is not what's going on. I I was just kind of playing with a coworker. Uh, But from there on, Charles just does not. He's just he doesn't even want to talk to Jim. It's I think the first time we've seen Jim struggling to make a good first impression. I mean, we think back to Hot Girl in season one, when he decides he wants to turn on the, the, the charm bomb or flip the switch onto flirting. I mean, he walks in there with Katie and is, I mean, she's smitten with him because he's just so smooth about it. That's the word you use, smooth. And every other time we've had Michael or Jim make these introductions, even uh, cocktails when he met David Wallace. 
uh, same thing. It, it's, it's just natural for Jim. And Charles just caught him on an off day and in an awkward situation. And it's like that all day long. There's one time when Jim glances behind him at his desk to see Charles staring at him through the blinds of the conference room. He turns back around. He sort of pauses for a moment, looks back behind him, and now Charles is right up against the window, pulling the blinds down, staring at him like, are you going to do any work today or not? And Jim, I, Dwight is thrilled, <laughs> but things are going very, very poorly for Jim. I had that scene with the blinds in my notes. Um, I said it was like the weeping angels in Doctor Who. <laughs> yeah, a little bit. <laughs> it's just... Which, if you're not familiar, every time you look away from the Weeping Angels, they move closer towards you. <laughs> and that was Charles in that scene. Just, are you going to do work? Are you going to do... And just <laughs> being a little creepy towards Jim. And uh, Jim tries to make it better. He pulls Charles aside, or rather goes into his makeshift office and tells Charles, look, I think we got off on the wrong foot. I'm a smart guy. I'm a great number two for the office. I hope you'll give me a chance. Charles, of course, asks about number two. What, what do you mean? Jim admits that it's a made-up position, the assistant regional manager. But, you know, it was fake when, when we gave it to Dwight, but it's real for me. And so, of course, Charles makes Jim feel badly about that. And Jim really did try. He's like, look, I, I want you to know I'm not a goof-off, but Charles just isn't having it. Which I do have a question, because we know that when Jim was transferred back to the Scranton branch from Stanford in season three, that Jan made him second in command. Like, yeah. that, that was she a said, real thing that happened. We'll put you number two. Yeah, because it was going to be uh, Stanford staying open. It was going to be Josh at the head, and Jim was going to be number two there. Things switched around. Jim was still going to be number two at Scranton. So mm -hmm. in some capacity, it's a real position. But Charles does have a point. If it doesn't come with any additional responsibilities, aside from Jim just being in charge when Michael's out, is it a real position? What's the point of the position? So It's a good point. I kind of see both sides. I mean, we, we, we knew it was real. But if it doesn't have anything additional, what is real, <laughs> you know? Right. It was, it was made up as far as we know. And then we heard Jan mention it during the merger. So I feel like that may have just been Jan trying to schmooze and like, this is, you know, we'll give you this position, but the position is elusive, you know? Who, who knows? But that's, that's a good point. I had forgotten about that. Last characters just briefly, really briefly talk about before we move on to funny stuff are Angela and Kelly, mm -hmm. who are sort of fighting over Charles and pursuing, uh, fighting to pursue a relationship with him. Uh, Kelly calls him a black George Clooney, says she's going to get him to take her to dinner tonight, and that their kids will face obstacles being half black and half Indian, but it's worth it. <laughs> <laughs> and Angela approaches him at the end of the day before he leaves and says, it was nice meeting you, Charles Minor. Nobody talks like that. That's like a, a James Cameron script, you know? Right. <laughs> and she finds or maybe steals his scarf <laughs> to return it to him and has that talking head saying, you know, he's a sophisticated man who doesn't need to go dumpster diving for a relationship, i.e. Kelly. Right. But at this point, he'd kind of be dumpster diving if he was pursuing Angela, in my opinion. <laughs> As I said, my opinion of her is not very high at the moment. Angela goes up to him at the end of the day and simply says, you know, it was nice meeting you. And all he says is, okay. Okay. <laughs> and I just like, rude? <laughs> like, I mean, I know she's weird, but just thank you. You too is all it would take. Uh, yeah, you too. I mean, yeah. I mean, yeah. even if it was flippant, uh, yeah. reciprocate somehow. Seriously. 
funny moments. Let's uh, let's discuss that. What do you have? Uh, the cold open. Dwight says, Michael, since it is your 15th anniversary at the company, I thought it might be appropriate to begin the festivities with a 15-minute round of applause and following with a 15-minute moment of silence. Uh, I, the, the first part, Michael was really enthused about. I don't think he was so keen on the second part. I don't think Michael would last a 15-minute mo- moment of silence. <laughs> no, no. And uh, then he, Michael says, this party has to have all the excitement, drama, and intrigue of my time here. And Jim, that's when he steps in. And of course, classy. <laughs> and, of course, he's in his, his tux at this point. Right, right. He, Mike, Michael says, like the opening of a car dealership. That's classy. <laughs> Jim says, or like Mr. Peanut. <laughs> and Dwight says, he's not fancy. He's not classy. It's just a regular peanut wearing a top hat, monocle, and cane. Michael says, that's what makes him classy. <laughs> and it goes on a little bit longer. It, it's, it's just ridiculous. Uh, Dwight makes a suggestion uh, about having a, an ice sculpture of Michael covered in chocolate-covered strawberries. And Jim says, you know, that's not classy enough. I'm going to come up with something off the top of my head here. Um, an ice sculpture of you surrounded by chocolate-covered fruits. Michael says, strawberries? That's inspired. <laughs> and Dwight <laughs> says, I just came up with that suggestion. And he storms out. And uh, everybody comments on how that was not classy. Jim <laughs> says, de classe. <laughs> French, classy. Yeah. <laughs> My favorite was Dwight suggesting that they have a string quartet playing classy Cal music. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> He's trying. He's trying. Michael tells Dwight to, star, to stall Charles in the break room uh, while Michael gets the C-shaped bagels out. So we see a break room full of people and Dwight is literally whispering Scranton's coal history to Charles. It's just very quiet and creepy, and Charles is freaked out. And, like, if you're going to try to put on a good first impression for the new boss, don't sick Dwight on him. <laughs> it's just rule number one. And, you know, I thought at the time when I first watched uh, that Dwight might be, like, reciting the Wikipedia page or something. And I did look. It, it didn't match. <laughs> it might have at the time. But then I just, like, just now remembered, didn't we see a deleted scene of how Dwight and Angela had their first date at the coal mine? Possibly. Possibly. I think there was a deleted scene where, they, like, they were both really excited, and they already knew all the information, and that's what made it exciting, so they'd correct the tour guides. Oh, yeah. I, I think I remember that. And so that would make sense why Dwight's just able to, like, whisper under his breath the history of Scranton and its coal mining industry. I think you're right. I, I remember that they were correcting somebody. Mm-hmm. I don't. I, that sounds right, though. Yeah, I'll have to look it up, but I'm pretty sure that's something that we've talked about in just like a small deleted scene. Michael. There's lots of small moments for Michael. There's the whole, I think it's an Ozzy Osbourne impression where he goes, it's going to be metal. Metal. <laughs> and he says, metal. it's going to be mental. <laughs> no, it, it's metal. Like rock, <laughs> rock and roll. Metal, not mental. Whatever. <laughs> Michael tries to get to know Charles better. He had just gotten off the phone with David, where David basically said, uh, deal with it, he's your boss. So Michael comes in to the conference room where, where Charles has set up shop. He says, I just got off the phone with, with, with David Wallace. He said that you and I should try to get to know each other better. So I'd like you to tell me something that you've never told anybody before. Charles says, no. No. <laughs> Michael says, come on, what's your wife's name? Where did you work before you came here? 
Charles says, Sadakoi steel. <laughs> Michael says, beautiful. See, Afri- African-Americans have such a rich history of unusual names. No, 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 no. Charles worked at a place called Sadakoi steel. You're not but from to papers? be fair, Michael did ask two questions in a row. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, Silly. There are a few small quotes from Michael trying to get in contact with David. He says, uh, truth be told, I think I thrive under a lack of accountability. Yeah, thrive in a certain way, but maybe not in productivity. Right. Um, <laughs> later, he's in contact with the secretary and says, just tell him to call me ASAP as possible. Sure. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> and then uh, the last one in that sequence, he calls David's office and is forwarded to Charles' cell phone, which you mentioned earlier. And Charles asks, who is this? And Michael ends it with, I was never given a name, and then hangs up the phone. <laughs> That's so good. That was on mine, too. One more Michaelism. He says, you say no more parties, and then you spend all this money on lunch. And I think it's a little hypercritical. I don't think hypercritical is the word you're looking for. It's hypocritical. Hypocritical. <laughs> and as he is leaving for New York, he says, very impassioned speech. Do you even know how paper is made? It's not like steel. You don't put it into a furnace. If you put paper into a furnace, you know what would happen? You'd ruin it. <laughs> and then he like tries to flip a chair on his way out, and he just sort of moves it, scoots it a bit. It's not very dramatic. We haven't seen Michael this angry in a while, but he's peeved there. Yeah, probably the, would you say the last time we've seen him like really upset is, uh, did I stutter? I was going to say dinner party. Is that before or after? Uh, let's see. Dinner party was for episode nine. And did I stutter was just three episodes later. So pretty oh, close. Okay. Okay. Season four in any case. Yeah. Did I stutter? Almost done with the funny stuff. When Michael is trying to get in contact with David, Dwight interrupts and says, no, you've got to charm them. And so the secretary picks up. He says, hey, gorgeous. How you doing? How's it hanging? She said, oh, it's going fine. Then he transitions into, my name is Michael looks around the desk, sees the tape, scotch, <laughs> and I have David Wallace's son in the trunk of my car if he doesn't get on this phone in the next five seconds and Michael freaks out. Uh, yeah. <laughs> and <laughs> lastly, lastly, uh, before we get to the deleted scenes, Jim has the suggestion for Michael's party of a two-way petting zoo. You pet the animals, they pet you back. And Charles is again unamused. <laughs> It's not that I didn't find this episode funny, because I did, but I had a really hard time thinking of it as a funny episode and coming yeah. up with funny moments, because it's just so tense. And, yeah, I know what you mean. I, uh, I do. I had so few funny moments. Again, not because it wasn't funny. I just was so overwhelmed by the awkward. Mm-hmm. What about deleted scenes? Deleted scenes. Um, Andy, Meredith, Oscar, and Creed try to determine why Charles is here. Andy says, when corporate sends someone, it's either big trouble or really good news. <laughs> or it could mean business as usual. Creed just wants to know who Charles works for. When Oscar tells him, Dunder Mifflin, Creed says, oh, well, it's all starting to make sense now. I don't think Creed knows where he is half the time. I don't think he don't knows think he so works either. for Dunder Mifflin. <laughs> no. And Andy's is so funny because he literally just, yeah, it could mean all anything. All possibilities. Literally anything. <laughs> And so Meredith turns to Oscar and says, well, what do you think? And Andy says, I just told you why he's here. <laughs> <laughs> Michael says, I'm nothing if not professional. 
So if Charles is going to be here, then I'm going to have to show him exactly what I bring to this branch, which is competence and success, and above all, laughter and professionalism, and above all, a sense of whimsy. <laughs> it's two above alls, and it progressively gets further from professionalism as he says he's going to show Charles. So that's my problem. I don't problem. think anybody cares about whimsy in the workplace. In a paper I don't think company. so, don't especially like not Charles. <laughs> Dwight has a talking head following the Charles weeping angel blinds done completely in air quotes. He says, oh, look at me in my pretty tuxedo. I'm so pretty and carefree and I don't need glasses. And oh, what's that? An objective outside observer doesn't find me amusing? Hysterical. (laughs) (laughs) The glasses part gets me because it has nothing to do with anything. (laughs) We've seen Dwight, like, he thinks that physical stuff, like, I think this may be in the future, but it really doesn't spoil anything where Dwight talks about his ideal woman. It's like curly hair and, and big breasts, not because, not for me, but for my kids. Oh, yeah. The shrewds have thirsty babies. <laughs> like, yeah, something like that. They're, they're very, like, he's, he's very pragmatic about the physical features of people. It's funny. When Charles is shutting down the party planning committee, Michael says, it's an institution in this institution that I established in the mid-90s to celebrate the Laserdisc release of A League of Their Own. And to do so, they had a make-your-own-pizza party called A Pizza of Your Own. (laughs) Those don't connect very much, aside from... No, they just don't connect. It's just just Michael's idea of a party. In discussion of the party planning committee again, Michael gets really bothered again by Charles's objections. Then there's a talking head with Michael. You know what? No, I don't have a problem being micromanaged. Just don't come into my branch and tell me what to do. That's micromanagement, and I will not stand for that. (laughs) But you just said. (laughs) Jim talking to Pam about how much Charles really doesn't like him, despite the fact that he's had a productive day. He's closed a sale, he's updated his contact list, and Charles walks by and says, Busy day, Jim. Uh, So... Caught at Pam's desk, he's in trouble for, again, not doing his work, even though he's been productive otherwise. So Pam says, well, why don't you go tell, tell him that you updated your contact list? And Pam sa- or Jim says, you're teasing me on today of all days. And she offers him a candy, but asks him to eat it at his desk so Charles doesn't keep seeing them together. <laughs> Think for her own safety. Yeah. And then there was actually uh, one more. Michael goes through a series of reactions to just having quit his job, including calling his mother. And after him begging his mom not to, she puts on Jeff, the stepdad, on the phone. And he says, hello, sir. How are your trains? She calls him sir, and he has trains. So we know a little bit more about Jeff. (laughs) Yeah, a little bit. Uh, He also, uh, he's eating a a slice of pizza, Sbarro maybe. Maybe. um, And (laughs) laughing hysterically and eating a hot dog and crying. So to... New York foods that have very different reactions for Michael. What about our discussion topic? Okay. Charles Minor. Is he unnecessarily rude or is he just doing his job trying to fix this crazy paper company? We know Michael. We know he's harmless. Charles doesn't. What's your vibe on him? I don't know. I almost think of there being like a spectrum of bosses and Michael's on one end. And Charles is just on the polar opposite end, where Michael is carefree and loves people and maybe not the best at his job, but he has fun and tries to make it fun for other people. And 
on the other side, Charles is very productive, but he doesn't care so much about the people or the personal interactions or having fun in any capacity. He's there to do work and that's it. So in a lot of ways, I think he's just doing his job the way he sees how to, just like Michael is doing his job the way he sees how to. And yeah, they're both flawed, but I don't think either are trying to do anything aside from just doing their job. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. Yeah. He's not Michael's cup of tea and vice versa. I think even if all things considered, Michael was his same personality, but was like working all day long. I mean, I, I just, I don't think that they would ever get along in any circumstance. Um, just two grading personalities. So mm-hmm. I don't know. Yeah. Charles, as I said earlier, like be nice. Angela said it was nice to meet you. Say it's nice to meet you back. Like that's it. That's all you need to do. He's a little rude unnecessarily, especially to Jim. I mean, I get it. I get it. <laughs> but yeah. it's it's hard it's hard to say, you know. Yeah, I know some people really don't like Charles Minor, like they actively dislike him. I wouldn't say I dislike him, at least not right now. Uh, that might change as we look at the next few episodes a little bit more in depth as well. But I I don't know. I just see him as a guy who's really no nonsense and that the, the being rude is sort of a repercussion of that. There was a brief deleted scene that I don't think we even mentioned that actually made me like Charles more, even though he didn't say anything. I don't like Charles. Let me put that out there. I don't hate him, but I don't like him. Mm-hmm. Um, but there was a deleted scene where he had his glasses on and he goes, Michael is, and he takes off his glasses and just rubs his face. I mean, Michael, <laughs> Mike, my, my, Michael, <laughs> right. he, just, he can't <laughs> express, he, he's never met a man like this before, clearly. Yeah. And he just can't wrap his head around him, which makes me kind of empathize with him. I'm like, okay. Yeah. I get, I get what you're going through because he's crazy. <laughs> yeah. I, I think that is actually part of the next episode, but I mean, ah, either way. Yep. Sorry. Um, no, it's fine. Same thing. <laughs> yeah. I mean, he's clearly exasperated with the guy. So next episode, we've got two weeks aired March 26th of 2009 was directed by Paul Lieberstein and written by Aaron Schur. Michael has given his two weeks and is completely slacking off. It's only when he realizes that he, need, that he will need to find another job does he shift into high gear. After realizing how slim the job pickings are out there, he decides to open up his own paper company. He asks several employees to come with him, but all turn him down. But he is determined. Upon finding out what Michael is up to, Charles kicks Michael out of the office, but one employee decides to join Michael on his new business. So Jim has a quote that pretty much sums up Michael, at least in the start of this episode. He says, apparently there's a a very big difference between Michael trying and not trying. And what we've seen these five seasons so far has actually largely been Michael trying. Mm -hmm. And we see what the absence of that looks like here. He's playing with toys. He's messing with employees. He's drinking at work. He's ignoring requests from Charles, you know, all of which we have actually seen him do at the office before but this is like turning all of that up to 11 yeah and uh, as you mentioned in your summary all this is sort of in lieu of coming up with a game plan for the rest of his life he's still in his 40s so he can't retire he still has a mortgage on his condo which is extending into his 70s we've established that he's not great with money and perhaps worst of all he thinks he doesn't need to search for a job because you know, Pam, at my level, you don't just look in the want ads for a job. You were headhunted. I, that's not no. going to work out in your favor, Michael, if you just ignore things. I cannot even 
I mean, this will tell you my station in life. I can't even imagine a job where I would be headhunted. Like, that's so far <laughs> up. That's so high, in my opinion, like in my little world. That Michael thinking that somebody will just reach out to him, I think, is, is nuts. I don't even think before that conversation that he thought at all about finding a new job. He just, I don't know, he like tucked his little Dunder Mifflin job away in his mind and that was it. And so we see him after that looking for jobs, but he has two places to call. One is Prince Paper, which upon calling them, he learns that he shut them down. And his second one is other companies. So (laughs) he kind of just thought, okay, I'll just get a job at Prince Paper. Do you not remember when you put them out of business? Like, It's, it's not until the candidates start showing up for interviewing for his job that he really does start to understand, oh, I need to figure something out. Because that first candidate says, you know, I, I drove in from Philadelphia and I looked it up. That's two and a half hours away from Scranton. And he points out and it's a long commute. That's a long drive. And he says, well, there's very few places hiring right now. And so it, it sort of hits Michael then. Oh, OK. Yeah. So he does call Prince Paper and then other companies. I just had to ask, what about Staples? What about Office Depot? What about International Paper, which is the company that bought Hammer Mill, I learned upon my research. (laughs) I would think that somebody who was manager at Dunder Mifflin's most profitable branch would be able to at least get an interview at one of those places. Mm -hmm. Although, in Michael's defense, if he's smart, he may be thinking those places are going to want to see a resume with references. And he's been at Dunder Mifflin for, I mean, at least 15 years. And that's just his manager, right? Or we mm-hmm. assume it's just his manager. So before that, he was salesman for however long. So he doesn't have a whole lot of references outside of David, who may not be his biggest fan right now. And he certainly can't list Jan or Ryan as references, even though they were his superiors. And Charles isn't going to give him anything positive. So in a sense, Michael looking for work in his field may not have been all that productive anyways but still he's not trying you know my thoughts on the big box stores because i had that same thought was i mean he could go there but i don't think he was thinking references i think he was thinking oh well those are the bad guys oh that's a good point like that's that's what dunder mifflin is striving not to be Mm -hmm. um so in michael's mind i feel like he's just oh well i can't go there that's that's bad. I feel like that's probably as far as he went, <laughs> thought process-wise. I like that. Uh, and I, I think that definitely has some merit. But then he goes and he makes his own paper company. Uh, right. So I, I think that means he's leaning to the smaller companies, too. Right. So I, I agree with you. Um, he decides to form his own paper company, aptly named the Michael Scott Paper Company. Which I should just say, so far, it's not a company. It's Letterhead. Right. <laughs> That's it. <laughs> he, he first tries to recruit Jim, who tells him, you know, you shouldn't do this because the industry is in decline. Michael says, I practically invented decline. <laughs> okay. okay. You're, you're maybe not wrong, but that's not <laughs> what you're thinking. Right. Uh, Jim tells him, you know, my wish for you is to find a job that A, exists, and B, that has a salary because it's set up to do that kind of thing. And then he asks Andy, who won't give him an answer, despite an earlier scene where Andy says, I'd love to work with you again in the future. He doesn't ask Dwight. He asks Oscar, who batters him with endless questions that Michael can't answer. And he asks Stanley in the bathroom. And so he obviously says, no, that 
ends with Michael saying, you know what? I had a great time at prom and no one said yes to that either. Hmm. (laughs) I wanted to ask you why you think he didn't ask Dwight. Hmm. I I honestly couldn't come up with an answer. At least a good one. I I don't know. It it is a tough question to answer. We've seen... They have a pretty rocky friendship. We know that they've hung mm-hmm. out a couple of times outside the office just because of references so far. But we've also seen them pretty antagonistic towards each other and especially Michael towards Dwight. So the excuse he gives in the episode is, you know, Mike or Dwight has the farm that mm-hmm. he's tending to. But my response to that is, is Michael planning on moving like cross country? It's not like right. he can stack another expense onto this. He's got a condo. He's staying in Scranton. Right. Uh, there's really no, there's no, hypothetically, no difference. Right. There's no reason for him to not ask Dwight, aside from. Right. Just doesn't want to. He just, yeah, I guess that's, that's what it boils down to. He doesn't want Dwight. He sees Dwight as weird and yeah. maybe not a friend like he considers everyone else in the office to be. Yeah. Which is kind of, Sad to put that into words, but at least at this time. And I, I feel like their relationship goes so up and down. You know, one day Dwight will be his best friend and the, the next Dwight's driven Michael up a wall. So mm-hmm. maybe they were having an off day and and or Michael just doesn't want to deal with that roller coaster <laughs> in a in a new business. And Kevin later asks Michael, you know, you asked everyone except me, Angela, Meredith and Creed. I wanted to add to that list. I highly doubt he asked Toby or even Kelly either. Yeah. You know, I, I don't think either of them would have been on Michael's list, but that's right. beside the point. He didn't ask Pam either. Oh, that's true. He didn't ask Pam. That's a good. Yeah. <laughs> I yeah. Didn't, didn't even occur to me. Yeah. Uh, well, Charles finds the, the letterhead, the, the order form, purchase form that had Michael Scott Paper Company up at the top. So he calls Taped. up Hank. Taped, yeah, taped at the top. And so he calls up Hank to escort Michael off the premises because he can't form a rival company while still employed by his current company, even if he's put in his two weeks notice. Michael at the time doesn't think that Hank will be loyal to Charles. Uh, He asks him to do the opposite. Hank, escort Charles outside. And Hank says, come on, man, let's let's go. So he leaves and Charles won't let him do his speech. and it's a small thing to note, but, and we can talk about this when we talk about Pam specifically in a second, but when Charles denies Michael's opportunity to have a speech, it sort of looked to me like Pam is looking at him pretty upset with him. Like, you're taking away his job, basically. Why, why not give him the chance to say something? I, I don't know. Maybe I'm misinterpreting, but it's like she has this brief look where she seems really frustrated in the direction of Charles. I didn't notice that. I'll have to go back and watch yeah when i was watching this i kind of forgot what happened next and i said wow michael's going so easily like he just sort of okay you know after after hank says all right no come on man let's let's actually go michael just grabs his stuff well he doesn't sorry he doesn't grab his stuff <laughs> he grabs himself and leaves and uh waits to give a speech <laughs> charles says no and then he leaves and I said, wow, that's, I mean, that was pretty easy. I thought Michael would have to be drug out of the office. And then I remembered that Michael um, crawls literally on his hands and knees back into the office to steal uh, info, documents, office supplies, people, 
just, <laughs> he's just grabbing everything he can get his hands on because this new company that he is starting that is not actually a company. It is, as I said, a name and letterhead. Um, he has nothing. So he's just trying to grab salesmen, you know, anybody, anybody, anything that can fit in his hands. He's, he's going to take it with him. I just wanted to point out that Michael gets back in the building through the door that is in the, on the parking lot level on the side mm-hmm. of the building. How is that not a huge security issue that that door is just not locked all the time? It should they be have locked. Hank <laughs> at, the, at the main entrance to prevent, you know, people just going up. Yeah. And Michael just grabs the door, door and walks right upstairs. Uh, uh, that's concerning yep. in 2018, but yeah. okay. <laughs> uh, Maybe not in, in 2009. <laughs> Which leads into Pam. After the events of the surplus, when they chose to spend the surplus on new chairs, and also stress relief when they used the copier as a battering ram to try and escape Dwight's uh, fire circus, if you want to, I don't know what you want to call it. (laughs) (laughs) Fire circus, definitely, from from now on. Uh, They finally got a new copier, and Pam has to be the one to figure out how to set it up. She spends hours on it this day. She finally emerges victorious. Over the copier, unlike over the wireless router at home, as she mentions in a talking head. And her victory is hollow. It's almost like, uh, it reminded me of Jim's talking head in the pilot. I have Mm -hmm. all this useless knowledge about paper in my head because they're talking about downsizing at the time. And so Pam's talking about how she could do a bound book in plastic with rings or whatever. Offset colors. Yeah, offset colors. That's right. Mm -hmm. And so. Then she just sort of stares off into the distance like, wow, I know how to do a really useless thing. Yeah. She said, like, she spent all day working on this, Mm -hmm. which feels great. Yeah. Like, it's hollow. There's not a real victory there. And so when Michael leaves the second time in the episode, uh, after he's asked everyone if they're doing their best work here, are you being the best you can be here? Pam gets up and leaves with him. But under the condition that she's no longer a receptionist, she's a salesman instead. And Jim's with her and he's just sort of makes a look at the camera like, never heard that one before. (laughs) Okay. Nice. Yeah. Uh, And that's that. That's Pam. So she's going to be a salesman for the Michael Scott Paper Company. But it it was just, you, you could see the slow progression over the episode from learning about this copier to questioning why she put so much effort into such a non-important thing in the end to considering what Michael's proposal is to, to go and to Mm. do something different with herself. And she, the whole episode was not on board with Michael's idea. You know, this is a bad idea. It's not the climate to start your own company. Um, and she doesn't know what she's about to do until she does it. Mm -hmm. Um, you kind of see this look on her face like, oh, oh, uh, I have to go. I have to do it. I have to get up and go. And like, she, she doesn't know that it's coming. And Jim, I think, is really like, no, you're not going to, you're not really going to go with him until he hears her reasoning. I want to be a salesman instead. Mm-hmm. Um, that's, you know, the next step up. So I think he's actually impressed with her um, kind of skillful maneuvering of that situation. And then, of course, as Pam and Michael 
around the corner. So she, she runs down outside um, into the parking lot where Michael is and says, Michael, wait, I want to go with you. As they're leaving the parking lot, they're, they're walking and they round the corner and they're both smiling really big. And then the reality of what has just happened and the fact that they are essentially unemployed, it, it, it hits them. It settles in and mm-hmm. you see the smiles just completely dissipate off their faces. Um, and it's pretty grim. They don't know what's next. Uh, they kind of have to create this company out of thin air because they left with nothing. Yeah. And last thing I have to say on Pam and Michael, you know, I think a lot of this is Pam trying to make something better of herself to be beyond just a receptionist. But I also think back to business school when she had her art show and Michael was the only one who showed up to support her. Mm-hmm. And so we, we've seen... Pam and Michael have a special sort of relationship where, yes, a lot of it is Pam being super exasperated with Michael and Michael making inappropriate comments about her looks. But there is a real relationship there. And I think she's doing this almost as much for him as she is doing it for herself. So, yeah, it's mm-hmm. uncertain at the end, but I, I, I think it, it really says a lot about their relationship together. Just a little bit more about Charles. It's the same sort of stuff we see in the previous episode. Uh, we do see him pissed off at one point in this one when Michael sneaks back in. Uh, yeah. It looks like he might be about to get aggressive. He takes off his glasses and puts them in his chest pocket. And Michael's like, oh, God, no. <laughs> he backs off. <laughs> it's not worth it. <laughs> it's not worth it. And he, after Michael leaves, he walks into the or sort of strides, struts into the conference room and slams the door. So he's pissed. Uh, and then at the end of it all, when Pam and Michael have both left, we see how Michael has the advantage over the Scranton branch that Charles doesn't have because he doesn't know the people. He assigns Kevin to phones, Kevin to phones, <laughs> instead of Kelly, whose job it is to talk on phones to customers. Or maybe even Andy. Andy, I think, has the personality where he could do reception. He's, he's personal, but this is Kevin. <laughs> he can't do yeah. it. And then he assigns Stanley, who is literally holding a crossword puzzle, not paying attention, in his hand, to be his productivity czar, as he calls it. Which is something like Ryan would say, but whatever. Right. Uh, so he has picked two people to do jobs that are completely opposite to their personalities. And so I think this is a sign of things to come where Charles just doesn't know these people and he doesn't know their strengths and that might not end up in his favor. I did my, my preparation for this episode yesterday and I put that in my funny moments, but as I look at it now, I'm like, that's not funny. That's like, it's kind of sad because Michael would have never made that mistake. Mm -mm. So that definitely belongs in character development land. Not, not too funny at all. Let's go ahead and go into funny moments. Uh, what do you have to start us with? Well, there's not really a cold open, as it were, this, this episode. It dives right into, and I think rightly so, it, it left us on, on a bit of a cliffhanger in the last episode. So it dives right into the story of Michael telling us two weeks. And Michael will not tell anyone how he quit. He has a captive audience and he just drags them along. <laughs> Pam says he finally has a story we really want to hear. And he knows it. <laughs> uh, and he's, he's sitting up on the counter in the kitchen and everyone's huddled around. And he's like, okay, so I'm in New York and, and, and I, uh, I go to use the revolving door, but I can't. It's broken. <laughs> like, everyone's like, oh, my God. Okay. Okay. So 
you finally get in the building is no, I was in the wrong building. And like everyone just, <laughs> Oh my God. Okay. So you're in the right building with the right people. Now what? And he just, he keeps finding all these little details or making them up um, to just prolong the story. Cause no one ever pays attention to him this long. I, I know we're talking about funny stuff, but just a, a small discussion point. Michael doesn't exaggerate his story at all. He stretches it, but he doesn't exaggerate right. it. He tells it exactly like it is, which I think is uh, interesting because I think Michael is yeah. the kind of guy who would sort of blow things out of proportion and make it more than it actually was. We've seen him do that before. Yeah. Um, but then everybody else's response when he finally finishes his story is, that's all you said. You didn't tell them like how fed up you were with, of him. And so you see everybody else sort of projecting what they think of Michael in some respects. Like, if I were to quit now, this is what I would say to you a little mm-hmm. bit. Yeah, I actually have that as my next funny moment because I said, Michael says, you guys have thought about this a lot more than I have. Mm-hmm. Meaning, like, they've all thought about how they would quit to Michael. Mm-hmm. It, but Michael, it, he, he just doesn't have the same thoughts about David. This was about how he was being treated, not necessarily of what he thinks of David as a person. Uh, so I, I just thought that was interesting. Um, yeah. We see some of Michael. Uh, behaving in the office he's drinking and kevin says michael is that scotch michael says scotch and splenda tastes like splenda gets you drunk like scotch (laughs) which is flashback to cocktails again when he makes Mm -hmm. that sound that you really like (laughs) 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 when you you drink straight it's really the face yeah Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) he he doesn't like it so he he asks for splenda and ice and so he's drinking. I'm curious to know if, if anybody's had that. I can't see it being good. No, I, I can't either. <laughs> I, I still think scotch with Splenda in it would have that scotch burn, but maybe yeah, not. Yeah, but like saccharin. <laughs> Oscar has a talking head after the whole quitting story. Oscar says, I love a good quitting story. It makes me feel like I have control over my own life. It gives me hope. Maybe one day I'll have one of my own. But I dream, so... <laughs> Uh, bad he'll never quit no uh one of my favorite smaller moments is we we hear some snarling and growling coming from michael's office and jim speaks up it's monster.com singular (laughs) because he knew what michael meant monster.com is a job search site (laughs) and so it goes the camera focuses on michael and he's like uncomfortable he says oh thank you (laughs) and he fixes it It's, it's such a small thing that joke is so much funnier because it wasn't, we didn't get the lead up. Right. We just got, it, it's monster singular. <laughs> like that's, we didn't need the beginning of that joke to get the end of right. it. It's really good writing. Mm. Michael is, is talking to Pam about his idea about starting up his own paper company. Michael says, this is a dream that I've had since lunch and I'm not going to give up on it now. <laughs> Pam says, yeah, but. You could give it up, though, right? And almost nobody would know. <laughs> As in, pretty please give this up. This is a horrible idea. Right. And in that same conversation, Pam's the one who mentions Michael Scott Paper Company. And uh, Michael says, oh, somebody's been talking in bed. Pillow talk. As if Pam and Jim have been in bed together in the last half hour Since, or however yeah. long it's been. She just goes, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Michael announces to Andy, I'm sorry, my own paper company. And he says, no way. In this climate, Michael, in all climates, it's going to be worldwide. <laughs> no, not what it means. No. Nope. Funny moment and sort of a character thing as well. Kevin says, I always thought Michael got a bad rap. He's a good guy and he's super funny. 
Yeah, maybe I should tell him that before he goes. And he looks out the window. Uh, he's all the way over there. But I should mention, this is not a window outside. This is a window from, I think, the kitchen to the main office. So mm-hmm. get up and tell him. Yeah, just walk over there. <laughs> yeah. But it's, it's nice to know that Kevin actually values Michael. While Pam is trying to put together the copier and get it set up, Dwight approaches and says, would you like me to translate the German instructions for you? Pam says, I think they're pretty much the same as English ones. Dwight says, typical American ignorance that got us involved in a war we never should have been in. Pam starts to interrupt and he says, World War II. <laughs> uh, we, we've talked about <laughs> Dwight and his World War II opinions before. Right. Uh, and then he tries to translate the German copier instructions, but I don't think even German copiers have incense dispensers or ceremonial sarcophagi. <laughs> You can't be sure. I, I can can't. Uh, Dwight, Dwight's response is, my German is pre-industrial and mostly religious. <laughs> also a good Dwight quote and my last funny moment. They're talking about Michael being headhunted. And uh, he says, of course, any good headhunter would, would know by now that I'm available. Dwight says, any really good headhunter would storm your village at sunset with overwhelming force and cut off your head with, with a ceremonial knife. Jim just goes... Yeah, because that's what we're talking about. (laughs) Not that kind of headhunter, Dwight. No. Uh, Two small things. Meredith, when Pam is trying to announce to everybody that she's fixed the copier, says, Little Miss Thing wants attention. That's a popular quote. But possibly my favorite comes from a sort of unexpected place in this episode after Angela and Kelly have, again, had a bout of trying to win over Charles. He just has this very brief talking head. And it's his first talking head. He says, I'm aware of the effect I have on women. <laughs> That's it. <laughs> it makes me laugh. I think it's. <laughs> I don't know why that one like gets under my skin. Yeah, it, it's funny. It's, but yeah. I'm like, oh, like, it, it is kind of creepy. It's just like, yeah, <laughs> I'm aware. Don't really care. He's just watching it. Yeah. <laughs> I, I could abuse it if I wanted to. Deleted scenes. There is one where Kelly asks Michael what he's going to do now that he's given us two weeks. He says, this will give me a chance to spend some more time with my condo, which that's great, but you need money. Kelly says that she wants to go to Mexico, which is irrelevant, but okay. She wants to go to Mexico, make jewelry, be naked, and have amazing sex. Michael suggests that he'll come. That's creepy. That's that's creepy. creepy. (laughs) Um, Kelly says that, no, it's just her and Charles. Also creepy. Yeah. Uh, we pan down with the camera and Michael is scratching. Michael was here into his desk. <laughs> it's all in the same scene. Michael goes to Toby for resume help, who tells him to start with his most recent thing. And Michael responds, regional manager, and then calls Toby something rude. But Toby says, no, how would you describe what you did in your own words? So Michael says, change things ushered in a new era of love and comedy in the workplace, hired many, fired none, made money, lost money, learned to stop counting. This is our moment. This is our time. And he's continuing on. He says this next part should be preferably sung. And in the background, you just see Toby crumple up the piece of paper and he eventually like blows his nose into it and tosses it away. But I think that this is the first time we've actually seen Michael utilize Toby as an HR representative, I think it's kind of nice. Yeah, yeah. On his way out. 
asking Daryl how much warehouse space would a small paper company need, about 25 clients, hoping to expand. Daryl messes with him for a bit, but then gets real. He says, this doesn't sound like a good idea. So now we have, oh, I don't know, one, two, three, oh, everyone saying that Michael should not do this. Yeah. Kelly interacting with Charles in the break room. She says, are you enjoying your stay here? Then you must be from Jamba Juice. Charles says, what's that? What's that? (laughs) She says, it's a juice company because you're a smoothie. No. (laughs) And immediately following that, she has a talking head where she's berating herself. Stop talking. Stop talking. Why do I ever talk? <laughs> I feel like we've all had those moments. Yeah. I, I, I feel that for Kelly. I'm like, oh, that was such a bad line. <laughs> In fact, we got one like that. What was the line? It was between Jim and Pam. It was when Jim and Karen were fighting and Pam was trying to be Jim's friend. And um, she's saying like, they're, they're by the vending machines in the break room. And she goes, oh, yeah, I feel so much better when I've had, had eight hours of sleep sleeping's better than not or something mm-hmm. and and jim's just like yeah and he walks out of the room and she just like slams her head on the <laughs> right. on the vending machine like oh yeah trying to make conversation and just failing yeah jim has a talking head he says michael will find his next job the same way he found this one he'll board a bus smell a woman's hair follow her to her place of work and walk out with an entry-level sales position is that how Michael got this job? I thought the same thing. I thought, holy crap, if this is real life, like, is this really how it happened? Because I believe it. I, I yes. <laughs> I don't remember anything to the contrary no. on how he got this job. I don't think, I think this is the only snippet of anything we've ever gotten on how he might have gotten his job. Uh, creepy. And, <laughs> I believe it, which is terrifying. <laughs> yeah, because that sounds like the kind of thing he would do. Uh, Not maliciously, just, (laughs) yeah. Last one for me. Apparently, Michael snuck in twice after getting kicked out the first time. Uh, We saw the second one, the second time he came back in. The first one, which is the deleted scene, he had a box he was collecting things in back in the annex, and he's caught by Charles. And so to escape, Michael tosses the box into Charles' hands and runs through the kitchen grabs the the container of cheese balls and makes his escape <laughs> priorities yeah yeah drop yeah. the post-its get the cheese balls all right our discussion topic chad what do you have okay just a, a small bit of intro because we didn't talk about it um andy gives michael a bottle of wine as a farewell gift and he says i hope to work with you again in the future we know that andy is a big brown noser but with michael leaving being a kiss-ass at this point does nothing for him. In fact, Phyllis, uh, he and Andy, she and Andy have that interaction where he says, you know, it's a sad, dark day now that Michael Scott's gone. Phyllis says, he's gone now, Andy. You don't have to keep kissing his ass. So do we think that Andy was being genuine in this moment, giving a gift to Michael, saying, I hope to work with you again in the future? Or was he trying to maybe take something get something from michael have some sort of ulterior motivation that led to him giving this gift and i don't necessarily know what that would be but what do you think um i don't know that it's either of those i think andy is pretty sentimental nah nah (laughs) and i think he just i don't know i'm i'm the same way if i have a boss leaving or 
I don't know, a, a person I would even slightly consider a friend, like moves, something like that. I, I get really sentimental and like graduation goggles about it. And I think that might be what Andy's feeling um, and that he just wants to give him a gift. I mean, we've seen that he's Mr. Manners. Mm-hmm. And I think that that might just be his like gesture. I think it was just from a good place. I don't, I don't think he was BSing or, or, or brown nosing or anything. Um, it doesn't seem like it. It doesn't seem like it. He seems pretty genuine. Yeah, but my, my only argument against that was, you know, when have we seen Michael and Andy form any sort of meaningful bond, you know? Yeah, true. Which may just, I mean, it's a deleted, well, it's not a deleted scene, but it, it's not that big a deal. I was just curious because the only thing I could really think of is if he was maybe wanting to eventually ask for a letter of recommendation or mm-hmm. maybe even lobby for his position. Michael's leaving, yeah. the position's open. Who knows? Not that, uh, I don't think Charles would listen to Michael's recommendation. And he said he's looking for right. out-of-house hires anyways. But just a thought. I was curious. What your thoughts on what that? What I was be. more confused about that scene actually was Michael's reaction. Mm-hmm. He, I'm forgetting the words exactly, but he kind of shakes the the gift and says, "Is this wine?" And he says, "Yeah, guilty." Michael says, "Well, I already have wine," mm-hmm. and just like he kind of dismisses the gift. I was just confused as to why he. I'm kind of taking your discussion topic. And, no, that's okay. And asking you, but why would Michael be so dismissive of? Even if it was a brown nosing thing, which maybe is a case for Andy being a brown noser in this case, but why would Michael, that doesn't seem like him. I don't know. I don't know. I mean, if you think back to sort of their original interactions, which would be uh, traveling salesmen when Andy got Dwight to quit and -hmm. following up with, uh, goodness, The Return. Yeah, it's called The Return that episode ends with Andy punching the wall because yeah. Michael has said, stop it. Stop what you're doing. I know what you're doing. I'm tired of you sucking it up to me. Mm-hmm. So maybe Michael does. Maybe it's genuine on Andy's part, but Michael perceives it slightly as being a kiss ass. And so yeah, maybe that's why he's so flippant about the gift itself. Maybe. Yeah, or, that makes sense. Where Michael's just selfish and he wants something he doesn't already have. I mean, that's the other yeah. answer, really, you know? <laughs> yeah. It just seemed like so out of context. I was confused. Yeah. Well, cool. I, I really like this episode. I think we had a lot of fun stuff to say. We had mentioned this off the air um, last week that these episodes pair together so well and that we're lucky we get to discuss them at the same time because they just are meant to be discussed together, it seems. Mm-hmm. I, I've got to say, this arc of the show is one of my favorites. I really like these next few episodes and the two episodes we talked about today. It it Mm -hmm. sets up the rest of season five and I really enjoy it. So I'm looking forward to talking about it more. Well, that wraps up our 49th episode of an American workplace. You can contact us at facebook.com slash workplace pod or at workplace pod on Twitter. You can rate, review, and subscribe on iTunes and email feedback, ideas, thoughts, etc. to workplacepod at gmail.com. You can find me on Twitter at ktlady623 or at facebook.com slash katie.white. Best place for me is at chadadada on Twitter. That is C-H-A-D-A-D-A-D-A. Also facebook.com slash chad.hopkins and my other show, Cinescope. And you can find it where podcasts can be found and at thecinescopepodcast.com. 
Show notes and contact information for this show, everything we just went over, can be found at workplacepodcast.com. And if you want a shout out and more of an American Workplace each week, including access to discussion outliner notes, a logo sticker, bonus episodes, and live streams, check out our Patreon page and pick the support level that you think is worth it at patreon.com slash workplace pod. That's all for this week. Thank you for joining us to watch one of our favorite shows, The Office, here on episode 49 of An American Workplace. Make sure to join us in episode 50, The Big 5-0, for our discussion on the next two episodes of season five, Dream Team and Michael Scott Paper Company. Bye. Michael goes down to the warehouse and asks Daryl for Daryl for advice, asking him how much wear space. <laughs> what is wrong with me? <laughs> I... I think that's my favorite one so far. Wear space. <laughs> this is what I get for getting up early. Okay. <laughs>